Chapter Eighteen of the Life Everlasting by Marie Corelli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lisa Statler. Dreams within a dream. I stopped abruptly, brought perforce to a standstill. There was nothing but the black water heaving in front of me with a slow and dizzying motion, and faintly illumined by a dim, pearly light like that of a waning moon. I looked behind me, fearing my persecutors were following, and saw that a thick mist filled the air and space to the obliteration of everything that might otherwise have been visible. I had thought it was day, and that the sun was shining, but now it appeared to be night. Utterly fatigued in body and mind, I sat down wearily on the ground, close to the edge of the strange dark flood, which I could scarcely see. The quiet and deep obscurity had a lulling effect on my senses, and I thought languidly how good it would be if I might be allowed to rest where I was for an indefinite time. I can understand, I said to myself, why many people long for death and pray for it as a great blessing. They have lost love, and without love life is valueless. To live on and on through cycles of time in worlds that are empty of all sweetness companionless and deprived of hope and comfort this would be hell not heaven hell not heaven said a voice near me i started and looked up a shadowy figure stood beside me that of a woman in dark trailing garments whose face shone with a pale beauty in the dim light surrounding us both so you have found your way here at last she said gently here where all things end and nothing begins I rose to my feet and confronted her. "'Where all things end,' I repeated, "'surely where life exists there is no end.' She gave me a fleeting smile. "'Life is a dream,' she said, "'and the things of life are dreams within the dream. There are no realities. You imagine truths which are deceptions.' I looked at her in wonder and bewilderment. She was beautiful and the calm sadness of her eyes expressed compassion and tenderness. Then, is creation a lie? I asked. She made no immediate answer, but pointed with one hand towards the dark water. I looked and uttered a cry of ecstasy. There, shining in the heaving blackness like a vision from fairyland, was the dream, glittering from stem to stern, with light that sparkled like millions of diamonds. Your dream of love! said the woman beside me. Behold it for the last time. With straining eyes and beating heart I watched, and saw the shining vessel begin to sink slowly into the deep, watery blackness, down, down still lower, till only her masts were visible. Then something defiant and forceful sprang up within me. I would master this torture, I thought. I would not yield to the agony that threatened to drive me to utter despair. This is a phantom of sorrow, I said. It has no meaning. The love that is in my heart is my own. It is my life, my soul, my inmost being. It is eternal as God himself, and to him I commend it. I spoke these words aloud, holding the book of the secret of life clasped to my breast, and raised my eyes trustfully to the dense darkness which should have been the sky. Then I felt the woman's hand on mine. Her touch was warm and gentle. Come, she said softly and I saw a small boat slip out on the gloomy water, guided towards me by one whose face was hidden in a fold of black. 
My companion drew me with her and signed to me to enter. Something in myself, as well as in her looks, impelled me to obey, and as she stepped into the boat I followed. We were borne along in silence for what seemed to me a long time, till suddenly I began to hear strange sounds of wailing and shuddering cries of appeal, and our darkness was lightened by the drifting to and fro of pale forms that were luminous and human in shape, though scarcely of human resemblance. "'What are these?' I whispered. My companion took my hand and held it. "'Listen,' she answered. And gradually, out of a clamour of weeping and complaint, I heard voices which uttered distinct things. "'I am the phantom of wealth,' said one. "'For me, men and nations have rushed on destruction.' For me they have sacrificed happiness and missed the way to God. For me innocence has been betrayed and honour murdered. I am but a shadow, but the world follows me as if I were light. I am but the gold dust of the earth, and men take me for the glory of heaven. I am the phantom of fame, said another. I come with music and sweet promises. I float before the eyes of man, seeming to him an angel. I speak of triumph and power. And for me, brave hearts have broken, and bright spirits have been doomed to despair. I am but a shadow, but the world believes me substance. I am but a breath and a colour, but men take me for a fixed star. I am the phantom of pride, said a third voice. For me, humanity scales the height of ambition. For my sake, kings and queens occupy uneasy thrones, and surround themselves with pomp and panoply. For me, men lie and cheat and wrong their neighbours. For me, the homes that should be happy are laid waste. For me, false laws are made and evil conquers good. I am but a shadow, and the world takes me for the sun. I am but a passing flash of light, and men take me for the perfect day. Other voices joined in and echoed wildly around me, and I rose up in the boat, loosing my hold from the clasp of the woman who was with me. "'You are phantoms all!' I cried, half unconscious of my own words. "'I want God's angels. Where is love?' The voices ceased. The strange flitting figures that wailed round me faded away into mist and disappeared, and a light, deep and golden and wonderful, began to shine through the gloom. My companion spoke. "'We have been looking at dreams,' she said. "'You ask for the only real.' I smiled. A sudden inrush of strength and authority possessed me. "'You bade me look my last upon my dream of love,' I said. "'But you knew that was impossible, for love is no dream.' The golden radiance widened into a perfect splendour, and our boat now glided over a shining sea. As in a vision I saw the figure that steered and guided it change from darkness to brightness. The black fold fell from its face. Angel eyes looked at me, angel lips smiled, and then I found myself suddenly alone on the shore of a little bay, blue as a sapphire in the reflection of the blue sky above it. The black stretch of water which had seemed so dreary and impassable had disappeared, and to my astonishment I recognized the very shore near the rock garden which was immediately under my turret room. I looked everywhere for the woman who had been in the boat with me, for the boat itself and its guide but there was no trace of them. Where and how far I had wandered I could not imagine. But presently, regaining nerve and courage, I began to fancy that perhaps my strange experience had been preordained and planned as some test of my faith and fortitude. 
had i failed surely not for i had not doubted the truth of god or the power of love there was only one thing which puzzled me the memory of those voices behind a wall the voices which had spoken of rafael's death and treachery i could not quite rid myself of the anxiety they had awakened in my mind though i tried hard not to yield to the temptation of fear and suspicion i knew and felt that after all it is the voices of the world which work most harm to love and that neither poverty nor sorrow can cut the threads of affection between lovers so swiftly as falsehood and calumny and yet i allowed myself to be moved by vague uneasiness on this account and could not entirely regain perfect composure the door of the winding stair leading to my room in the turret stood open and i availed myself of this tacit permission to return thither i found everything as i had left it except that when i sought for the mysterious little room hung with purple silk where i had begun to read the book called the secret of life a book which through all my strange adventure i still had managed to keep with me i could not find it the walls around me were solid there was no sign of an opening anywhere i sat down by the window to think there before my eyes was the sea calm and in the full radiance of a brilliant sun no mysterious or magic art suggested itself in the visible scene of a smiling summer day had i been long absent from this room i wondered i could not tell time seemed to be annihilated and so far as i myself was concerned i desired nothing in this world or the next save just to know if raphael santoris still lived and yes one other assurance to feel that i still possessed the treasure of his love all the past present and future hung on this possibility there was nothing more to hope for or to attain for if i had lost love then god himself could give me no comfort since the essential link with divine things was broken gradually a great and soothing quietude stole over me and the cloud of depression that had hung over my mind began to clear i thought of my recent experience with the man and woman who had sought to rescue me as they said and how when in sheer desperation i had called raphael raphael they had suddenly disappeared and left me free surely this was a sufficient proof that i was not forgotten by him who had professed to love me and that his aid might still be depended upon why should i doubt him i had placed my book the secret of life on the table when i re-entered my room but now i took it up again and the pages fell open at the following passage when once you possess the inestimable treasure of love remember that every effort will be made to snatch it from you there is nothing the world envies so much as a happy soul those who have been your dearest friends will turn against you because you have a joy in which they do not share they will unite with your foes to drag you down from your height of paradise the powers of the coarse and commonplace will be arrayed against you shafts of disdain and ridicule will be hurled at your tenderest feelings venomous lies and cruel calumnies will be circulated around you all to try and draw you from the circle of light into darkness and chaos if you would stand firm you must stand within the whirlwind if you would maintain the center poise of your soul you must preserve the balance of movement the radiant and deathless atoms whereof your body and spirit are composed must be under steady control and complete organization like a well-disciplined army 
otherwise the disintegrating forces set up by the malign influences of others around you will not only attack your happiness but your health break down your strength and murder your peace love is the only glory of life the heart and pulse of all things a possession denied to earth's greatest conquerors a talisman which opens all the secrets of nature a divinity whose power is limitless and whose benediction bestows all beauty all sweetness all joy bear this in mind and never forget how such a gift is grudged to those who have it by those who have it not reading thus far a light began to break in upon me had not all the weird and inexplicable experience of the past hours or days tended to shake me from love and destroy my allegiance to the ideal i cherished and had i yielded to the temptation had i failed i dared not estimate either failure or success leaving my place at the window i saw that the little lift or dresser in the wall had come up noiselessly with its usual daintily prepared refection of fruit and bread and deliciously cool spring water i had felt neither hunger nor thirst during my strange wanderings in unknown places but now i was quite ready for a meal and enjoyed it with all the zest of an unspoilt appetite when i had finished i returned to my precious book and placing it on the table i propped up my head between my two hands and set myself resolutely to study and i write down here the passages i read exactly as i found them for those who care to practice the lessons they teach free will the exercise of the will is practically limitless it is left unfettered so that we may be free to make our own choice of life and evolve our own destiny it can command all things save love for love is of god and god is not subject to authority love must be born in the soul and of the soul it must be a dual flame that is to say it must find its counterpart in another soul which is its ordained mate before it can fulfil its highest needs then like two wings moved by the same soaring impulse it assists the will and carries it to the highest heaven through its force life is generated and preserved without it life escapes to the other phases to find its love again nothing is perfect nothing is lasting without the light and fire of this dual flame it cannot be willed either to kindle or to burn it must be born of itself and in itself and shed its glory on the souls of its own choice all else is subject to order and command love alone is free power power over all things and all men is obtained by organization that is to say setting one's house in order the house implied is the body in which the soul has temporary dwelling every corner of it must be in order every atom working healthfully in its place without any suggestion of confusion then whatever is desired shall be attained nothing in the universe can resist the force of a steadfastly fixed resolve what the spirit truly seeks must by eternal law be given to it and what the body needs for the fulfilment of the spirit's commands will be bestowed from the sunlight and the air and the hidden things of space strength shall be daily and hourly renewed everything in nature shall aid in bringing to the resolved soul that which it demands there is nothing within the circle of creation that can resist its influence success wealth triumph upon triumph come to every human being who daily sets his house in order 
whom nothing can move from his fixed intent, whom no malice can shake, no derision drive from his determined goal, whom no temptation can drag from his appointed course, and who is proof against spite and calumny. For men's minds are for the most part like the shifting sands of the sea, and he alone rules who evolves order from chaos. Eternal Life Life is eternal because it cannot die. Everything that lives must live forever. Everything that lives has always lived. What is called death is by law impossible. Life is perpetually changing into various forms, and every change it makes we call death, because to us it seems a cessation of life, whereas it is simply renewed activity. Every soul imprisoned today in human form has lived in human form before. The very rose that flowers on its stem has flowered in this world before. Each individual spirit preserves its individuality and, to a certain extent, its memory. It is permitted to remember a few out of the million incidents and episodes with which its psychic brain is stored, but only a few during its period of evolvement. When it reaches the utmost height of spiritual capacity, and is strong enough to know and see and understand, then it will remember all from the beginning. Nothing can ever be forgotten, inasmuch as forgetfulness implies waste, and there is no waste in the scheme of the universe. Every thought is kept for use, every word, every sigh and tear is recorded. Life itself, in our limited view of it, can be continued indefinitely on this earth, if we use the means given to us to preserve and renew it. It was easy to preserve and prolong it in the early days of the world's prime, for our planet was then nearer to the sun. In the present day it is returning to a position in the heavens which encourages and sustains life, and men live longer without knowing why, never thinking that it is the result of the immediate situation of the planet with regard to the sun. The earth is not where it was in the days of Christ. It has been rushing through space these two thousand years, and yet mankind forgets that its place in the heavens is different from that which it formerly occupied, and that with this difference the laws of climate, custom, and living are changed. It is not man who alters his surroundings, it is nature, whose order cannot be disobeyed. Man thinks that the growth of science, and what he calls progress, is the result of his own cleverness alone. On the contrary, it is the result of a change in his atmospheric ether, which not only helps scientific explanation and discovery, but which tends to give him greater power over the elements, as well as to prolong his life and intellectual capability. There is no such thing as standing still in the universe. Every atom, every organism is doing something or going somewhere, and there is no stop. Rest itself is merely a form of progress towards beauty and perfection and there is no flaw anywhere in the majestic splendor of God's scheme for the ultimate happiness of his entire creation. Arrogant Asceticism The ascetic is a blasphemer of God, and of the work for which God alone is responsible. By withdrawing himself from the world of men, he withdraws himself from human sympathy. By chastising his body and its natural emotions and desires, he chastises that which God has made as a temple for his soul to dwell in. By denying the pleasures of the world, he denies all the good which God has prepared and provided for him, and he wrongs the fair happiness of nature and the order in which the universe is planned. 
the so-called religious person who retires into a monastery there to pray and fast and bemoan the ills of the flesh is an unnatural creature and displeasing to his maker for god looked upon everything he had made and found it good good not bad as the arrogant ascetic would assume joy not sorrow should be the keynote of life the world is not a veil of tears but a flower-filled garden basking in the perpetual sunshine of the smile of god what is called sin is the work of man god has no part in it by pride the angels fell by pride man delays his eternal delight when he presumes to be wiser than his creator when he endeavors to upset the organization of nature and invents a kind of natural and moral code of his own then comes disaster the rule of a pure and happy life is to take all that god sends with thankfulness in moderation the fruits of the earth the joys of the senses the love of one's fellow creatures the delights of the intellect the raptures of the soul and to find no fault with that which is and must ever be faultless we hear of wise men and philosophers sorrowing over the pain and suffering of the world but the pain and suffering are wrought by man alone and man's cruelty to his fellows from man's culpable neglect of the laws of health has come every disease as from man's egotism unbelief and selfishness have sprung all the crimes in the calendar i paused here for it seemed to me that it was getting dark at any rate i could not see to read very clearly i looked at the window but very little light came through it a sudden obscurity like a heavy cloud darkened all visible things i quickly made up my mind that i would not yield to any more fanciful terrors or leave the room even if i saw another outlet that night with this determination i undressed quickly and went to bed as i laid my head on the pillow i felt a kind of coldness in the air which made me shiver a little an uncanny sensation to which i would not yield i saw the darkness thickening round me and closed my eyes resolving to rest and so succeeded in ordering all my faculties to this end that within a very few minutes i was soundly asleep End of chapter 18